Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, and now wider media, because we're still trying to navigate the SAG after strikes. One glorious genre at a time. I'm Jazza John, and welcome to one of our guest specials, which is usually called Movies That Made Me Queer, but this time it's wider media, because at time of recording, the SAG after strike is still ongoing, and we do not want to be scabs. Today, we are joined by a very special guest who will instead be answering the question, what media made you queer? I'm very excited to welcome academic extraordinaire, YouTuber, and big nerd, Jordan Howard. Hello, Jordan. Hi, Jazza. Thank you for having me. I am a big nerd. This is true. Yes, and I think that the artifacts that you have brought to this here gay desert island are going to prove that. Before we dive into that, for anybody who doesn't know you, what's your shtick? What do you do? What's your thing? Yeah, so I make content on the internet about artificial intelligence, primarily educational content for people who are curious as to how it might affect their day-to-day lives. I also give talks and consult. And then when I'm not doing that, I do my actual J-job, which is being a PhD student at MIT. As if that wouldn't be enough. Well done for taking on everything. Yep. Willingly, it seems. But that's on you. So for these (laughs) these My therapist says that too. (laughs) Actually, this is just going to be... This whole episode is just going to be a therapy session for you. Spoiler. It's just an intervention. um, No. Um. 100%. If everyone could join the call now. So... For these episodes, we use the word queer as a bit of an umbrella term and a catch-all term. But do you use any other words to describe your identities? Do you use queer? How do you approach that word? I tend to default to queer, I think. I've used bisexual and pansexual in the past, which I think will actually potentially come up with one of the pieces of media that is on our list today. And then if there's another term that I would use, it would be demi-romantic, I think because I recently have been diving a little bit further into the like sexuality versus like romantic spectrums and learning a little bit more about myself in the process. Amazing. Have you by any chance found a stat advice on uh, TikTok or YouTube yet? So this advice has largely been from Reddit, I think, because I do spend a lot of time on Reddit. I have not, my For You page has not caught up with this yet, I don't think. Jordan, it's only a matter of time. I'm definitely not ASIN in any way, but I have learned everything about the ASIN Aero community from ASIN Advice, so I can definitely recommend their (laughs) their videos. We're better to learn than from TikTok. So, without further ado, let's dive into basically the... Queer Desert Island Discs, what media you're going to be bringing to represent your queerness. Your first piece of media is Kim Possible, specifically the character of Shigo. Now, Jordan, I have to be completely honest. The only thing I ever knew about Kim Possible was one, the outfits. So the cargo pants and the black shirt. I knew that the live action movie was terrible. And I also know that there is a bold mole rat as a sidekick in the franchise. I have, since you put forward Shigo as a character, looked at several compilation videos and read some Tumblr articles that (laughs) seem to confirm the importance of Shigo 
to the queer community, but can you just tell me a little bit why you chose her specifically? Sorry, Tumblr articles. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the articles that that exist on Tumblr. I was Tumblr kid. I, I... Love Tumblr to pieces, but I wouldn't articles describe probably not. fan fiction as articles either. And I love that too. <laughs> so, Ouch. so I got into, I think on this list, Kim Possible was probably the earliest form of media that I encountered that I think set me off on that journey. And of the five things on this list, I would say there's probably three items. I think all of them are actually related to TV shows where when I was creating this list and sending it to you, I made it and then looked back through it and was like, mommy, wait. And she goes probably the first example of that. So I have I have seen and read many things that are basically very step on me mummy vibes. Yeah. And I mean, Mm. I'm not I'm not trying to say anything about myself as a child on that front, because that feels like I could get in trouble for. But I definitely do think that there was something super compelling about that character from the beginning, as it relates to just being like a very powerful woman who has to like deal with this kind of like annoying, like white dude who she works for constantly, mm-hmm. a position that I She's certainly kind of have like not the found muscle. myself in after that. And <laughs> I think I, I was always drawn to that more than I've ever been drawn to the like, 15 year old who has superpowers who has to balance you know how do I be a superhero and save the world and also like go to high school and then it's funny because I was on tumblr at this point and so I'm sure if I dug back into like my tumblr history because I've I have multiple tumblr accounts but like I have one that goes way back I can see early stages of me diving into that part of the fandom (laughs) Mm -hmm. and just not understanding the emotions I was feeling and the attraction that I had towards this person, but still being like, I like her. Like, I want to... It was very like, do I want to be here or do I want to be with her situation? Yeah, I feel you. I really, from what I have seen of the character, she is full of sass. She always has a fantastic one-liner. She negs Kim all of the time, which is an instant Mm turn-on for me anyway. And she's always kicking ass in a powerful green and black jumpsuit kind of vibes. Yes, yes. How much did seeing all of this kind of like documented and and talked about and debated in the articles on Tumblr, Mm -hmm. how much of that kind of like changed the way that you maybe saw it when you were older or did you go back and like rewatch it in any way? So I have gone back and and rewatched, I think more so the made for TV movies and the actual show only because finding the show online is harder. And it's all on Disney plus now, I think. Oh, is it? Maybe I'll do a whole rewatch. That'll be fun. But I think that it's similar to, I don't know, a lot of these forms of media for me in that I can go back and be like, oh, yeah, like, I thought she was hot. I thought that her attitude and the sass and the outfit, obviously, like, were mm-hmm. hot. But I think at that point, I it, it just had not occurred to me that there was an option other than being straight for me. And so mm-hmm. I think when I look back on it, when I look back on most of these things, it's like, yeah, that was pretty obvious that, you know... If, In retrospect, if, if, hindsight is twenty twenty. Exactly, If if I had been going into it not having grown up in like compulsory heterosexuality then I probably would have opened my mind a bit more but yeah I I think I can look back on it now and be like oh yeah like in the same way that I look back on let's say many a female friendship and I'm like hmm 
Okay. <laughs> I wanted to do more than just hug you. Sometimes I did. Um, and then we just waved it off like it was nothing. And we were teenagers and it was fun. So yeah, I, I think it falls into a bit of that journey of like, this is normal and there's nothing more to think about it. And clearly I'm going to marry a man when I grow up. And mm-hmm. in hindsight, I can look back on it and be like, nope. I mean, I might still, I don't know. But there are more mm-hmm. options on the field that, that I would definitely be interested in. She's very much like an archetype of like this empowered, incredibly like independently powerful individual. But for some reason, she's always kind of like the muscle, not the sidekick, but she's mm-hmm. the the one. She's the competent, yes, feminine character that juxtaposes with the bumbling main supervillain. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of that is she's a big kind of icon in a lot of like a lot of gay men. Mm-hmm. really idolize Shigo as well. And she, I think it's just kind of like the empowered women side of things, whether it's the Spice Girls or Uma Thurman in mm. the Kill Bill movies, or uh, I'm just naming things from like the late 90s and early noughties that were really <laughs> foundational to me now, like uh, stuff like the Charlie's Angels movies mm-hmm. and all of those kinds of things. It's that kind of powerful woman energy that I think she's able to represent that I don't think we necessarily saw in very much, especially kind of like cartoon media targeted towards kids. I remember like around that time, like I don't think that Xena Warrior Princess was still on TV, but that was, I remember kind of like it's targeted towards slightly older adults and has like a similar vibe of like this really powerful, overpowered woman. And she was a spin-off of like the Hercules Mm -hmm. series who were a little bit more bumbling. I know that also Shigo, there's a lot of shipping of Shigo and Kim. Yep. I was totally on that boat. I was on that boat when the show was still on. I didn't, I didn't, I don't know that. So one of the the other pieces of media or or pairings that I sent you is Tar and Will and Buffy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was looking at the list right before this and I was like, a lot of the pairings on this list are not canon. Mm -hmm. And Shigo and Kim are one. Lena Luther and Cara Danvers on Supergirl is the other. But that does tend to be, that's how I found on the, fell down the fan fiction rabbit hole. I, I think there's a very long history of me being like, these two people would be better together because like, mm-hmm. fuck these men. And then after the fact being like, oh, they're all queer pairings. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Fascinating. Well, a lot of that is like, we, we see it with a lot of especially cartoon stuff that was available on networks that wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. go as far to have a queer pairing in a show that was explicitly like meant for children. Mm-hmm. So I think about The Legend of Korra, like the, the, oh my God, the yes. sequel to Korasami. Yeah, like that. Korra, yeah, Korra and Korasami. And their, like the payoff that we were meant to get was them holding hands mm-hmm. and walking into kind of like the other dimension thing. Which and then was, like five years um, later, the writers being like, yeah, they're gay. <laughs> It's like, thanks for that retcon, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, uh, But I feel like that was a common thing that we all had to do, whether it was making our sins gay and creating our own narratives. We had to create the stories that we didn't see in front of us. And a lot of that came out through fan fiction, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, fan fiction, Tumblr, fan edits, all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. This is a great segue into kind of like the broad platform 
mm. that is oh fuck archive of our own yes. is what the the acronym actually AO3. stands for yes, i am i'm sorry to say that this was never part of my upbringing oh. i can't read oh. <laughs> i, I feel Shit. like i did miss out <laughs> <laughs> What uh, tell me? Tell me about Archive of Our Own. How did you find it? Why was it such an important part of your queerness growing up? So, and maybe even yeah. now, you're allowed to still read it. Oh, I still do. <laughs> so I feel like I found fan fiction probably first via Tumblr, and then through Tumblr, actually found fanfiction.net, which was like my OG fan fiction platform, as well as Wattpad, kind of, because Wattpad is this weird liminal space where some of the stuff on it is fan fiction, some of it isn't. Also, the platform that brought you like Fifty Shades of Grey, and that whole series of films and books, which... Boy, howdy. Lots of thoughts there. But anyway, not queer at all. And then I think after being on fanfiction.net for a while, I discovered AO3 as kind of a larger platform for fanfiction that it seemed like, I don't know, more, more writers were on. There are, I think, two overall reasons why I found and, and loved and still love fanfiction. One is like the storytelling part of my brain, which is the mm. part of my brain that watches, you know, shows, movies, media of any kind and wonders about alternative plot lines, wonders about, you know, what if this had happened instead? You know, mm -hmm. I would like to see, I want to know what happens when after the book ends. And, mm -hmm. and that was something that I certainly got into via creative writing fairly young mm -hmm. on my own time. But I think fan fiction was a fun discovery in terms of like, oh, there are other people who also, you know, want to know what happens when the book ends. They want to know what happens if this scene had gone this other way in this show. And, and they're writing about it and they're creating entire, you know, canonical, non-canonical universes based on that. And, and so that's something that I, I've always loved and still love about fan fiction. I think the other side of it that's more queer is just the fact that you get to see pairings that do not show up in traditional media. And so I think... I will, I will say, Jordan, I just I just searched for my favorite piece of media, which is Final Fantasy X. Mm -hmm. And then almost immediately, father-son slash fiction yep. came up. Yep. So some of these... Some of this is like slightly off-piste. Oh, don't. There are, there are many a tag <laughs> that I could tell you to block in your AO3 account because <laughs> my inevitable future AO3 account it's just like rule 34 is a thing and we all know it's a thing and it mm -hmm. does appear in the fan fiction world quite often <laughs> um and so you just have to because part of the issue is also just that like if you're not if you're like new to like fan fiction you might read tags and just not know the lingo well enough to know mm -hmm. what it is someone's warning you against <laughs> and then you open it and you're like oh no um and so i've been oh no that that was a that was a warning yeah so <laughs> since i've been reading the stuff for like 15 years now i can look at stuff and be like oh no <laughs> this is not <laughs> nope i don't you know i'm happy i guess that you have an outlet for that somewhere I don't know if it needs to be here. I don't know. But that's not for me, I don't think. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, when it comes to characters like Shigo and seeing Shigo and being like, she would be so much better with Kim. Like, AO3 fan fiction generally is, is a place where you can see that happen and you can see that play out. And sometimes it diverges from, like, 
I'm thinking of the OOC tag out of character. It diverges from Mm -hmm. how the the characters would traditionally act, which can be fun, especially for like, I don't know, media that isn't well-written is the word that I'm I'm thinking of. It's it's not necessarily to dunk on the writers, but Mm -hmm. media where you look at it and you're like, I don't know that these people actually had chemistry or should have like ended up together. Let's, if you tweak their characters a little bit, kind of what happens. And and I also think that, especially when I started getting into the Supergirl fan fiction universe, something that I like about it is that I, and this is something that I also don't see a ton on, on I think, traditional media. I really like morally gray characters. I like internal mm. conflict. I like people having to like deal with hard things and i think that a lot of cable like network shows you just don't see that because that's not necessarily palatable especially stuff that's traditionally written for children yeah 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 everything is is written to be a lot more adversarial clearly good clearly bad yes yes and i think that that was also something that i wanted to see in storytelling and media and depictions of relationships from a pretty Mm -hmm. young age and i i think that fan fiction ended up being a useful resource for that in some ways in terms of just Mm. like both platforming you know people's depictions of queer relationships that did not necessarily happen on the original piece of media but also platforming depictions of like conflict resolution (laughs) Mm -hmm. um that that you wouldn't typically see in in mainstream media which i think i also very much appreciate so i still read fan fiction i don't write anymore but that's because i do my own writing outside of that i have to know what you were writing what was i writing and what's your handle Luckily for me, you don't I, have to share it. No, so luckily for me, I don't remember what my handle was on fanfiction.net, <laughs> and the email address associated with it has been deleted for years, so I don't remember what my handle was. How convenient. Mm. My, I would say my biggest shame in terms of media that I enjoyed, because I don't actually know that this is my biggest shame. I was obsessed with Twilight in, in middle school, mm-hmm. and so I definitely wrote Twilight. No fanfiction. shame. Haven't we? Haven't we re readdressed it now and like it? like twilight we actually are allowed to like now i think so i also think that a lot of what i liked about twilight fan fiction was fixing issues that i had with the original books (laughs) so like i think that that was also a big part of it. it was like oh like many of these stories involve like they break up at the end of the first book and then 10 years pass and she's like gone to college and like dated other people and like experienced an adult life and made decisions for herself and then they reconcile later Mm -hmm. and like he's still 100 and whatever but like she's not 16 so we all feel Mm. a little bit better about what's happening here (laughs) i think so i i I think uh uh, that was where i got into it i'm trying to remember i i feel like i dip in and out of fandoms based on whatever i'm currently reading or watching like whatever my latest obsession is so Mm -hmm. it's hard to remember all of the fandoms that i've dipped in and out of i was reading lizzie bennett diaries fan fiction for a while which is a huge throwback. I read a ton of Supergirl. I still sometimes read some. I read a lot of Shadow and Bone when I was reading that book series. So yeah, in terms of what I read, it depends. In terms of what I write, it does tend to be like, what if, you know, this scene had gone differently? Or what if, I think Supergirl is kind of an interesting example of it because the way that trauma goes like deeply unaddressed on that series is like wild Mm -hmm. to me. And I think a lot of the writing that I was doing around that was like, what if we actually, like, what if this were HBO instead of the CW? <laughs> and like, we actually let characters like deal with their stuff and acknowledged it 
instead of doing this whole thing where it's like, nope, everybody's fine and like no one needs therapy. <laughs> so you've segued into Supergirl. You've called out specifically the character of Lena Luthor. Another competent an, woman. <laughs> another another highly competent woman. I've also never seen Supergirl. Help me out. Give me the 411. What's it about? And then tell me about Lena. Yeah. So Supergirl, the TV series, I believe the first season launched in 2015 on the CW. But it was a remastering of uh, Supergirl from the DC Comics. And so the idea was that we're, we're going to tell the story of Cara Danvers, who arrives on Earth after the destruction of Krypton, after her, her cousin, Clark Kent. And instead of being a baby when when arriving to Earth and immediately being adopted and kind of acclimating to Earth in that way, she arrives as a teenager and mm. is still adopted, but has has those full memories of her past life and, and immediately has superpowers and has to learn how to deal with that. And so she gets adopted by the Danvers. She has an older sister and originally they don't get along and then they become thick as thieves and the show starts in season one with her working as an assistant at Mm -hmm. a news media outlet a classic of the super (laughs) man and girl genre exactly and her sister essentially being on a flight that is going to crash and her breaking out her superpowers in order to stop the flight from crashing and save her sister's life and then her decision to to continue being a superhero based on that. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, Supergirl does have queer characters, so Alex is a lesbian. Mm -hmm. She dates multiple people throughout the show and ends up getting married at the end of season six. Nicole Maines is also in it, right? Yes, yes, so they have a trans superhero. And, And so I think that... There is, like, season six also involved a lot of, like, other kinds of identity exploration. Like, they have, like, basically a Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. subplot in the show. I think season six, they knew that season six was going to be the last season by the time they were writing it. So there is a level on which a lot of that stuff felt, like, very, like, shoehorned in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, we gotta get this into the plot. But I started watching the show, I think, actually, because I found fan edits of Kara and Lena on YouTube. So okay. Lena Luther is Lex Luthor's little sister. Lex Luthor mm-hmm. being the big the big baddie canonically and she after her her brother is i think arrested for basically like international terrorism she takes over the family business and Mm. is aiming to make it into a force for good and so she originally meets kara as kara and then because of the family history in in i guess in this universe lex and clark were friends in like college and then Lex got jealous of Clark's superpowers and went crazy and tried to blow up a city. Hey, if my best friend had laser eyes, I'd do the same thing, you know? Maybe that's a you thing. Okay. (laughs) I think, I don't know that I'd do that, but, (laughs) you know, we all react to trauma differently. Um, We do, yeah, you do. It's just, this is a supervillain path that I'm I'm going down. I'm okay with that, you know? Hey, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, everyone has their, their role to play. So, so yeah, so she doesn't dislike Superman, but like at the same time, if her brother had never met him, he would be the brother that like she knew and loved growing up who taught her when she was basically adopted into the family, everything she knows. And so she and Kara become best friends, really, really queer coded best friends, really queer coded. Like it's 
wild. And In then, what way? How does that code that queerness come through? So, I guess spoilers. They become really, really, really close friends, but Kara does not tell her the Supergirl secret for fear that it will will put her life at risk. And so she ends up finding out that Kara is Supergirl from Lex when she shoots him and kills him in order to basically save the city from him. And so I'm dead. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. And so she goes on like a like season long supervillain arc because she's so betrayed by her best, best, best friend not telling her this. And they have all of these like very like emotional arguments and are like screaming at each other on rooftops. And you're just sitting there like... Not that I wouldn't be mad if my best friend of like a few years didn't tell me that she was like also a superhero that like I also interacted with like as the superhero persona. But like I've had breakups less emotional than this. (laughs) And yet y'all are like... The emotions are turned up to like 11. Exactly. And so it's like there was other baggage happening under the surface. It's like they're cuddling constantly and then she like almost kills her with a kryptonite rocket and you're just like... I feel like... I feel like... I mean, that's why I broke up with my last boyfriend. I know, the Crips Night Rocket every time. Same, every time. Well, he's also a lawyer, so, you know. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I I, feel like there are a million and a half articles that are basically like couples that should have ended up together at the end of the series and did not. And that tends to be... Have they ever talked about why they didn't? Because you said that there's so... still queer stories in the... It's a queer-friendly show. Mm-hmm. There's queer stories and queer romance in it. Why do you think they never did? So there are a lot of fan theories, some of which are like speculative based on kind of offhand comments that some of the writers have made, which is that like there was a version of the show where they ended up together and it ended up getting scrapped. And the implication of those comments was that like the producers were kind of like, well, there's already one queer pairing in this show. Like that's Oh enough. yeah, you can't have so, two to be fair. I don't, yeah, I no, don't like... It's one of those things where it's like, I have no idea if that's true. I have no idea what actually happened. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. My theory is that if they shot it down because they were like, there's too much queerness on this show, it's because every other queer character, a big part of their character arc has been handling their queerness and their discovery of it and the problems that it causes in their lives. So... Alex figuring out that she is lesbian is like a whole like season and a half arc. God, I can't remember her character's name now. Nicole Mance being trans and- Google and... tells me Nia now. Yes, Nia and Brainy. That's her boyfriend. So Nia basically being part of a family that has superpowers that are passed down like matrilineally and that being a point of tension with her family because she has an older sister, I believe. And Mm -hmm. she ends up getting the powers and the sister does not. And that Mm -hmm. being a whole situation given that she's trans. Very Encanto. Yes. So I think, I I suspect that they were like, well, if if Kara and Lena end up together, then we're going to have to spend like a season and a half having them both have like a queer crisis about it. And it was like, I mean, you don't. They could just be queer. That could just. Yeah. Like you, no one. Neither of them ever said that they were straight. At the end of the day, <laughs> and also many of their dating choices are ill-advised when it comes to men. So it, it would very much be a Legend of Korra situation where it's like, 
Mm. And then they end up together in the end, except hopefully more than holding hands and walking off into the sunset happens. And for whatever reason, they did not go that path. Mm. I will say that, I think... Well, that's why fangfishing exists, right? Oh, yes. And I mean, I do think mm. that there's a level in which, like, that the opportunity that they would have had to do that would have started at the end of season five, at which point they knew that they only had one more season left. And so it's like, on some level, I'm kind of glad that they didn't do the thing where <laughs> you just kind of like... And then they're together Quickly and you're like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, the whole fight that they have about her identity and that whole situation, I think would have either been more interesting if it got darker, like way darker, like HBO darker than it did. Or if the ending of it was like, because they're they have discussions about that are basically like, why was this so upsetting to you? And like the obvious answer is like, because you love her. Not platonically, clearly. And I think that that also would have been a better way of handling that particular crisis. But what do I know? Nothing. Hey, everybody. An ad read for you very quickly before we dive into the rest of this episode. This episode is brought to you by Ravensburger. Indulge in the timeless pleasure of assembling Ravensburger's extraordinary jigsaw puzzles. Ravensburger premium quality puzzles are crafted with meticulous attention to detail, bringing you an unparalleled puzzle-solving experience. With a rich heritage dating back to 1883, Ravensburger puzzles have become an integral part of families' lives across generations. Share the joy of puzzling with family and friends, knowing that your cherished puzzles will stand the test of time. Enjoy a mindful moment and immerse yourselves in a world of captivating colours, stunning imagery and intricate designs that will delight people of all ages, regardless of your preference or skill level. You can find a jigsaw puzzle that suits you perfectly thanks to the wide range of imagery themes and piece counts available you can start super super small and work your way up to over forty thousand pieces which is a little bit bananas to me if you're up for that challenge then why don't you go and shop ravensburger on amazon if you like today we are also still supported by squarespace who can help you dear listener buy a domain and create a website We always talk about how much we love using Squarespace for our website creation, giving us access to analytics, the creation of email campaigns, and connecting all of your social media presence in one place. The design features really do make everything more accessible when you're building a website. You don't need to know any coding whatsoever, and you can get all of your beautiful text and images aligned brilliantly so that you can make your website look very, very, very sexy. We know you hear a lot of your favorite media and podcasts and stuff offering discount codes, but we'd really appreciate it if you considered using ours. If you're putting together a website for like a campaign or a wedding or something along those lines, it would really help us out and keep the Queer Movie podcast going. So go to squarespace.com slash queer movie. And when you are ready to check out with your domain name and or your website, you can use the offer code queer movie to save 10 percentage points off of your first purchase remember to go to squarespace.com slash queer movie now back to the show so jordan you've brought us the whole library of ao3 and then two 
romances that never actually made it onto the main story arcs of the show. One of the suggestions that you, one of the pieces of media that you brought was, is one of the most iconic queer pairings and queer romances in the history of television. And that is Willow and Tara in the Buffy franchise. I'm still mad at what now, they did to her. <laughs> I think it's one of the best character choices that has ever been made on screen. Absolutely. I loved it. No, I'm, I, I love that they were a thing. I'm still pissed that they killed off Tara. They, they, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> in the way that they killed it her as so well. It was so dumb. Yes, still angry. Tell me a little bit. So interestingly, actually, Willow was my beard. I had a poster of Willow on my wall. And I was like, oh, yeah, I really, I really fancy uh-huh. Willow. And <laughs> beside Willow was a, also a poster of James Masters, who plays Spike. Yeah. And James Masters was my closet key. So the but because they relationship, but that has nothing to do with queerness. Um, <laughs> having them both together because they were from the same franchise somehow made it okay that really it was James Masters I was locking eyes with before I went to sleep every night. Nice. For anybody who doesn't know, give me the four one one. What's uh, what's the Willow Tara relationship? Why was it important to you? So I think there are two thoughts. I feel like I have this whole, and I don't know how much of this is me and how much of this is male writers and producers and how they write straight relationships but i think that there are many cases of me watching a show seeing a pairing of a clearly very competent woman and an incompetent man and being like why are these two people together you could do so much better and willow and her original boyfriend are actually Oz. yeah he he falls into that category for me <laughs> where i'm just like oh, he was, was like fine, a but like you were um, you, you could do so much he? better than this guy and i don't know why mm. i also feel this way about xander you could do so much better than this man and like i get that you like him but like eh. and and so i think that when when tara came into yeah. the picture this was like oh this is so much better like this is you know a competent beautiful like emotionally intelligent powerful woman (laughs) like you guys are perfect i love this i don't know that at the time i guess i would say i think it's a little bit hard for me to tease out how much i how much i liked willow and tara from a queer perspective versus how much i like them from a like not abusive relationship perspective because Uh buffy has a lot of those (laughs) yeah we were talking about spike earlier yeah i mean Um, angel's also a whole situation but yeah i mean that army guy yeah they're not good like none of them so she deserves so much better yes but then she does save the world at the end so i guess she does so i i think that Whenever I think about stuff like this, I'm there's, there is always part of me that's like, I do want these two characters to be together in a relationship that like happens to be queer. But also part of that is because like all of these men suck. <laughs> like all the men are just bad and, and we should just. There are, there are a few competent men in the Buffy franchise. There, like really, yeah. it really is the women who are emotionally intelligent, who are the cleverest, who move plot forward. And men are kind of like, very often the comic relief yep. in that franchise a lot more than the women are. And I wonder if that has something to do with it as well. Like we see these characters that maybe we project a little bit onto. Like Tara really teaches Willow how to be an adult, how mm-hmm. to be a woman. She introduces her to magic. She turns her from one of the more meek characters mm-hmm. into the most powerful 
character at the end of yep. the season where she goes toe-to-toe with a literal god. And I don't think it would be possible to tell that kind of a story with a heterosexual relationship in the same way. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Tara opens up possibility in Willow that I think you kind of get with queer representation. It's like, here, open this door and look at the way, this new way of navigating through the world. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I really, even before I knew I was queer, who am I kidding? I was looking at um, (laughs) uh, Spike and his naked torso. But before I was like really aware of like queerness and like its, its potential power and stuff, I feel like that witchiness in this and also the empowered like the whole series is about like in empowered women like the whole concept of the slayer and that feels super queer in its representation as well and there's there's queer slayers later on in the mm-hmm. series too yeah i i adore this pairing and i adore their story that was told and even though i think it is perfect for the character of willow and what happens the way that willow grieves for tara mm-hmm is such an important part to kind of like how the later series develop. I, I'm i still angry about Tara being killed in the way that she was killed. I was about to say shot by a stray bullet so... I'm still salty about, but it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very annoying. But it's, yeah, I I, I, I adore this this storyline and the, the unlocking of kind of like power that comes with it because mm-hmm. it could have, it was the early noughties when this was first airing. I think a lot of the time queer relationships were still... A bit of a joke and this i think really was one of the first times that i saw like a sincere depiction of a queer relationship especially a women loving women relationship mm-hmm. that was kind of it wasn't necessarily for kids but it was like skewed for teens and for younger people first time i ever saw something like that that wasn't kind of like laced in comedy despite the rest of the show being like that yeah i also think it presents a maybe not a total foil but a more kind of nuanced take on a lot of the relationships that Buffy has in a way in the sense mm-hmm. of her constantly kind of like wrangle with the demons of the persons that she's dating on their behalf mm-hmm. and like be the person who drags them back from the edge and you know doesn't succumb to their whatever whereas part of part of their relationship when it comes to Willow and Tara is Willow coming into to her power as it relates to her her magic and and Tara being the person to be like, you know, what are the values that that you want to espouse with this? Like, what mm. what are the ethical quandaries that you're thinking about? And like, yeah, if I see you doing something that I don't think is good, I am going to push back on it. But it's not in that way of like, you have no autonomy in this in the same mm-hmm. way that I think you get with like something like a Buffy and Angel or a Buffy and Spike, where it's like, mm-hmm. that's just their nature and I need to be the one that saves them. Like Tara was never mm-hmm. interested in saving Willow. Tara was always interested in supporting her. And and I just think that that's perspective on relationships that and and a demonstration of relationships that is is healthier and more realistic and and doesn't further this narrative of women constantly having to save men from like their inner demons or whatever a real otp Mm -hmm. your final piece of media is a book i haven't read because as i said i can't read but i've i've read an awful an awful lot of good stuff about this book and it is on my tbr list once you learn how to read once I learn how to read, it's just, I, I just haven't had the time. <laughs> the book that you've brought is This Is How 
You Lose the Time War yes. by Amal Mata and Max Gladstone. I've seen people describe this as one of the, uh, like, uh, like a perfect novel. Oh my God, yeah. Tell us about it. How does it take place? What's the setting? It's like a couple of time-traveling androids. Yeah. Um, so this is... I love this book for a lot of reasons, both as a, a, a queer person, but also as a writer. Because I think... I love it when people experiment with breaking like literary fiction rules and this book is like textbook for that so it's set up like you have a bit of narrative then it's a love letter then it's a bit of narrative from the other character yes their love letter and it repeats that right yes so there are there are two characters um red and blue who you never hear anything about gender or sexuality or anything like that that's that's never described or disclosed Mm -hmm. um they are essentially agents for for warring factions it's never made totally clear what what the what the kind of higher level dispute is and they travel through time trying to sabotage each other's missions leaving letters to each other and eventually falling in love and Mm -hmm. towards the end of the novel i believe it's blue is poisoned and uh, red has to travel back in time in order to leave a letter that will i believe prevent blue from from passing away from the 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 poison that they encounter and they end up running away together after being discovered by the various agencies that they they work for escaping as as spies and so it's an interesting book partially because of the lack of reliance on physical descriptions or or traditional character development like you don't hear about Mm -hmm. like you know red grew up in this town and they figured out they were queer at this like that's just not at all in the book it's it's so much more about their words and their actions and then what you can kind of pull out of that which i think is a really interesting approach to writing and an approach to to character development i think this was probably i guess i think i read this book when i was in grad school so this was after i figured out that i wasn't straight but i think at that point i was still kind of floating under like the bi-ish heading of like well, I've dated guys, but I also like girls, so that's bye. And this was the book that I think turned me on to the idea of pan, pansexuality, mm-hmm. because it's it was it was the book that made me realize that it was like, oh, I don't I don't know that I actually care what gender identity a person has as it relates to like my attraction to them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I care about them as a person. And that's kind of the th- underlying thread of the book it's that like you never know what gender anybody is you never you never Mm -hmm. hear about that you never hear what they look like you never they you know at some point they do see each other so they in theory know those things but like that's just not part of the book and yet they fall in love anyway and i think that that was something that i encountered i was like oh this is something that resonates with me like this is i think this is the thing you know when it comes to trying to find the label or the umbrella or whatever that you fall under mm-hmm. i remember reading it and being like yeah no like i this is this is a love that i want and it wouldn't actually matter that much once i met this person like what they looked like or or what gender identity to have it, that just i wouldn't care <laughs> mm-hmm. when you were thinking of red and blue was there a, how did you envision envision them i don't know that i did mm. i think so i've read this book several times i i think the first time i read it i probably envisioned them as at least like female presenting i think the more that i've read it i've let go of that mm. yeah i love i've never heard somebody describe it as 
that as kind of like an, a gateway to because panelists being kind of like the attraction to people regardless of yeah gender as opposed to kind of like being attracted to the gender of a person mm-hmm. and from what i have read about this book it leaves a lot to be filled in by the interpretation of the reader yes right so whether that is the world building whether that is certain emotions that the characters feel all the way down to kind of like how they present what they look like what their gender identity is yeah there's all of that space for you to fill yourself as the reader and i really love that as a way for us to be able to experiment with what are kind of like own interpretations of these circumstances are and i really want to read it now <laughs> i just need to learn <laughs> that that might be a, a hard uh, first book for you <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe start at like the, the the like kindergarten first grade reading level the hungry up. caterpillar yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. we'll start there also famous queer icon the hungry hunger caterpillar <laughs> jordan thank you so much for coming and bringing these five pieces of media. We've never done this before, but I am slowly going to turn this into Desert Island Discs. So I'm going to ask you to bring one piece of media with you into, I don't know, the, the Rainbow Vault. So you can choose from Shigo from Kim Possible, the romance between Red and Blue in This Is How to Lose the Time War, the full existence of AO3, Willow <laughs> and Tara, or Lena Lufa from Supergirl. What is this vault? Is this is this the the collective I don't vault know. of the podcast guests? <laughs> yeah, the the podcast. You're the first one I think I've ever asked. So oh, okay. I'm now making you choose one. I'm gonna bring the entirety of AO3. <laughs> I knew that that was gonna happen. I really shot myself yeah. in the foot by him. It's like there's a lot to read there. It's great. Well, that also um, encompasses just like every other example that I had. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> By its absolute nature. Thank you so much. I'm going to stop people from being being able to bring full websites. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, if people want to find you, where can they find you on the internet? I'm Jordan Hart on YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. If you Google my name, you will find me. Amazing. And I'm sure everybody will. Thank you so much for coming. That's it for another episode of the Queer Movie Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow and subscribe the podcast so you are primed for our next one in your podcast app of choice. And if you like what you hear, consider supporting us over on Patreon where we have some fun perks, including monthly Queer Movie watch-alongs. We've just had our Halloween watch-along, which was spooky. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram for some behind-the-scenes content, as and when I remember to post anything there. Thank you so much for listening, my dolens. Toodaloo. Say goodbye, Jordan. Bye. Bye.